When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the show on this glorious weekend where Arsenal still find themselves four points clear at the top of the Premier League. Everything is fine and of course Andy has disappeared as always. (laughs) My name is Rory and I'm not living in denial. Welcome to the (laughs) Anglo-Italian pod and I'm joined for now by just my very good friend. Adam, hey Rory, how are you? More importantly, mate, it sounds like you're very chipper while we wait for Andy to dial on, but uh, how has your weekend been anyway? He's in, now he's in. <laughs> Listeners, viewers, we are joined by Andy as well. Yes, I'm, I'm all good. I'm trying to remain positive. I've had a lot of my students today talking to me, giving me the kind of sympathetic look of like, Never mind. I don't, don't, don't come in here with that negativity. <laughs> I can't handle it right now. Um, so I'm on the edge, basically, Adam. How are you doing, mate? Before we bring you in, Andy, I promise we will. How are you doing, mate? <laughs> I'm doing quite well, thank you. I had the beautiful moment with my little boy where he asked me, why do you like football so much? And why do you watch oh. so much of it? And I went, because it's just bloody marvellous. And he went, so do I. I love it as well. And I was just like, I've done my job. Done my job as a parent, so that was my weekend pretty much summed up otherwise. But yeah, no, let's let's pass it on to Andy. How is Andy? Because he's been missing from this pod for a long time, haven't you? Great to have you back, man. Great to have you back. Is he there? Glad to be back. uh, I think he's calling from downtown Baghdad. I don't know. (laughs) It's a mouse, isn't it? Around the rut wheel. Yeah, I'm there. Oh, here he is. Sorry, Andy. How are you doing, mate? I'm there. Yeah, I well, thank you. Clearly, I'm having some technical issues, but yeah, I need to get I need to get those mice turning quicker. <laughs> but, no, I'm good. It's love to be back on the pod as usual. Good stuff. Well, this week we have a super super packed show. We are going to be talking about title race in the Premier League. Where is that going? We're going to be talking about the relegation battle as everyone panics and it's starting to look even tighter, even tighter down there. We're going to be talking about Spurs being Spurs and chaos at the bridge. Before we go over to Serie A, we're going to talk about Lazio continuing this incredible season. We're we'll talking about Monza getting another massive scalp in their first season back in Serie A. It's hard to remember that considering how well they've done this year we'll be talking about Juventus and their mad conspiracy theories um, <laughs> and we'll be doing a little bit of chat about what other Serie A game was it Adam I've completely forgotten we've Bologna, got a host Bologna. of them we've got a host of them but Bologna we've got Inter for example and Napoli for example bottling it perhaps let's hope Ooh. not let's see It might be bottles all around Europe. We will have to see. But listeners, viewers, we are going to go for a very quick break. And after this, we are going to be talking title race. I'm scared. Where's the video? (laughs) And here we are. It is title race time. And we're here to talk about all the talk today, the title of the show. Are Arsenal bottling it? 
I've seen that phrase written down more times today on social media than I've seen it in the rest of my <laughs> life, I swear. Before I go off on my little tirade, I'm going to bring Andy in. I'm going to say, Andy, what have you made of Arsenal's last two games? Two 2-0 two leads, letting them both slip. Anfield didn't feel too bad. This one felt a little bit worse. What have you made about the performances from Arsenal and where do you think they are? Yeah, I think you've summed it up quite well yourself, to be honest. The, um, I mean, it's difficult for any field um and although it's disappointing to you know lose a couple of goals um there's no disgrace in getting a good draw at Anfield it wants a crowd gets on your back and the players get ahead of steam you know even though Liverpool are a bit dysfunctional uh they can still turn up one-off results if, uh still as they're showing you know uh, earlier in the season uh with West Ham it was definitely from my side of it a surprise you know you see Arsenal go tune up in the first uh, 20 minutes or so are uh, you thinking yeah this they look like they've got this in the bag West Ham struggling for points devoid of inspiration you know Moyes had set out to get a point as he pretty much always does so yeah and um you look at that first sort of 20 minutes you think yeah Arsenal gonna win this three four five nil potentially uh mm-hmm. it was just in the second half it seemed to um go a little bit belly up I think that missed penalty really um summed it up i think you know nine times out of ten you're a backsucker to mm. put that penalty away um and he hit it well enough it was just wide so it was just it was just one of those things unfortunately um and west ham still got you know some very good players and uh, who can hit you on the counter um, you know, Jared Burrow's not been at his best, but he turned up to he turned up. Declan Rice, Typical. Had, yeah. yeah, no, Declan <laughs> Rice is another one who probably hasn't had a vintage season, yeah. Um, but he really uh led by example. And Western, you could argue, had enough uh chances to get another goal ultimately. Mm-hmm. So, I think, I think it's more because of a former Manchester City, why it confirms why it's a bad result you know mm-hmm. away at the london stadium for london derby is, is still a difficult place to go even despite the season that they're having in the way at anfield is a t- one of the toughest games you're going to get in the league so it's not a complete disaster but i think with manchester city right in horizon in a couple of weeks um i think arsenal would have liked to have been going into that game with a few wins mm-hmm. under the belt um and it feels the momentum has switched quite yeah i think logically more than anything else it sees it really feels like city have done honestly all they've done is they seem to get to march and april time and rattle Mm -hmm. off 15 to 20 wins um and there's not really much they could do be done to stop them well this is it it's like i think you're absolutely right and i think like between i said it a couple months ago when we were on the show i think that like we needed everything to fall perfectly for us. We needed to be perfect. We needed to win all of our games. We needed nothing to go wrong for us. Under then, only then, could we win the league. And what we're seeing now is things are going against us and things have started to kind of um, not go our way. And I think you kind of alluded to it there. With City and the machine and the juggernaut that they are, there's just no room for mistakes there's no room for it now and we're we're still nine games unbeaten right and it now feels like a disaster <laughs> like uh, games unbeaten in the premier league categorically is a good run that is good form and but i think um hit in third gear it's it feels like it's over but we're still it's still in our hands but it doesn't feel like it 
Yeah, I think what's quite... I saw it on Twitter, I can't remember who the tweet was, but also still on finish to finish on... They could finish like something like 94 points or something yeah. like that on current trajectory and still not win the league. 94 <laughs> yeah. points wins the league in virtually any other league that Manchester City mm-hmm. aren't playing in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, it's like... If you finish with that points, and you would have absolutely have taken that points total at the start of the season, a hundred percent. So I'd have arguably taken half of it. You know what? As much as it's going to be semi funny watching Arsenal bottle it over the next few weeks, I think when you look at it objectively, they probably haven't bottled it. They they're going to no. they've overachieved massively. Mm-hmm. You know, they've overachieved massively to get to where they are. They've played some great football while they're doing it. And, you know, if they do fall up short, they've just fallen up short to a team with far greater resources and an overgrown Viking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that, that's it. And I think, Adam, I'm going to bring you in. Like, if if City win, if they do the three-peat, right? And we've seen mm-hmm. now that, like, Liverpool fans, I suddenly sympathise with you so much more. <laughs> like, it, they had 97 points and didn't win the league, right? Yeah. Like, if we see this from Man City and they win it again and a team consistently, like the second-place team, consistently has over 90 points, is there an issue with competitiveness in the Premier League? Do you think that, like, we know that Man City have broken rules financial doping-wise, etc.? Is it a point where, and I don't want it to sound like I'm a bitter Arsenal fan if we lose. I understand they're an incredible team. Mm. They're a better team than us. If we win it, it would be a miracle. But do you think it highlights a competitive issue within the Premier League that City have to win it because they're the perfect club with endless resources? I think it's a difficult one because obviously it has kind of been introduced so, so much from the likes of Chelsea onwards, hasn't it? So since Mm -hmm. those Chelsea days, that kind of, spark this kind of you have to be a billionaire to kind of fund these clubs and really make them a complete squad um i suppose to an extent you can say that the premier league is starting to become a bit anti-competitive now because Mm -hmm. of the riches of man city and co who seem to be just running away with it especially now that the league seems to be getting a lot more tighter with that financial aspects and how much they can spend on their clubs but i still think there's going to be an element where as much as you can bring all these riches of players like Chelsea are showing with Ted Bo or Todd Bowley, even so, so to speak, that you can still do that, but still have very little idea of how to direct it. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have like a lot of players that might not be on sync. So you need to mm-hmm. create the perfect harmony. You still need to create those squads. I appreciate though for the likes of say your lesser cities that won't happen very often yeah, it'll yeah, probably yeah. be very 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 rarely even in that respect but for the likes of arsenal you're going to be there or thereabouts i feel and i feel if mm. there's going to be a best opportunity to take advantage it is going to be this season because i think you'll look back on this season and kind of regret not going that little bit further perhaps mm-hmm. um but yeah it's, it's a difficult one it is really difficult because i think how else are you going to compete with the likes of Man City yeah. these days? I think you have to just think differently and be smarter or try and be smarter. And that's what Arsenal are trying to do. Mm-hmm. We, we are miles ahead of where we thought we'd be. We are yeah. overachieving. We're at the we're still the second youngest team in the league. Like with the youngest manager, you have to kind of remind yourselves that. And I think what the the method that we're trying to do, I really like the hail, like the fact the hail end boys are so pivotal to everything we do. We're just doing it a different way. Obviously, I will be absolutely devastated if we don't win it this year. And I think we have, what's annoyed me in the last two games is that it's not been, I don't think we have, we are bottling it 
as the headline says, we're getting complacent. We got 2-0 up and thought the job was done. Again at West Ham, when we scored two, I thought, right, get a third, get a fourth, put this game to bed. We started doing clever little tricks. Thomas Party completely switched off. Like the whole performance fell apart. And I just think we've got complacent. And what Arteta now needs to do is focus and say, and it's what he's done so well with the team across the season is the next game, the next game, the next game. But it just feels like they've lost that focus a little bit and he's got to get them back in and go, look, you've not achieved anything yet. If you don't achieve it now, the season will be remembered for that rather than a great season, if you know what I mean. So I think mm-hmm. by by idiots, it's still been a fantastic season. I've loved every second of this season. I am still enjoying it a bit. But I think like we need the com- like the complacency needs to disappear. Um, there's one more thing I want to talk about on this uh, on this match before we move on because we could last forever. Um, well, two things. Declan Rice, that was definitely an audition, and I pray we get him next season. He absolutely put a shift in against us. I think he was looking at Arteta going, you've got to come and get me now. It seems like <laughs> we're the favourite. It seems like we're the favourites to get him, so I really feel like that was an audition. But the grim predictability of Bakayo Saka missing a penalty and the racists coming out of the woodwork in an instant... It's just so disgusting. And I take, like, it honestly got me so angry. It gets me angry every time. And I just feel it needs to be raised every time that when Harry Kane misses a penalty, it's not a thing. It's, oh, he's had a shit day. Or what what, what he's shouted at for is missing the penalty. When it's a black player, it's instantly their ethnicity that's brought into it. And mm. I just think it's disgusting and it needs to be brought up again. And, yeah. I've reported every account I've seen that's shared that horrific meme that goes around every time Bakayo Saka has a bad game. Um, nothing to do with this, but if there's any player that Arsenal fans need to give patience to and stick with and not have a go at, it is Bakayo Saka. He has carried this team for three years. And that is not why he doesn't deserve abuse. It's just because I've seen Arsenal fans turning on him as well. He has carried this club for years now. If he misses one penalty... It doesn't matter. I will always back that boy. He's incredible. He's incredible. But I'm going to leave the Arsenal game there. West Ham were outstanding. Bowen was amazing. Antonio caused us problems. Great performance for them. And in the relegation battle, it kind of makes it a little bit more interesting. Andy, you wanted to talk about the relegation battle. A few teams down there picking up points this weekend. Of course, Everton weren't one of them. But who did? (laughs) Well, um. A few teams have picked up points. The Wolves, I think, um, they've got themselves, you know, having for Christmas, they were going down, to be honest. Um, and a couple of Wolves, a couple of lads I um, play football with a big Wolves fan, so they thought they were down at Christmas. Um, so they've, you know, they've done a wonderful job. And it was quite interesting to see uh, Diego Costa. Um, just <laughs> It just seems for that game only this season, his first goal since September. He's carrying a little bit of weight down the middle, but he was, you know what? He was absolutely on it uh, that day. I know Patekri is doing a really good job at Wolves, and I think um, you know, they're, an example, they're an example of a club that did decide to make a change early, mm-hmm. uh, give themselves the World Cup to Betty's and players. Uh, they've made they made some good signings, um, you know, using their whole Daddy Hog Mendes kind of mm-hmm. connections. But they, it does help. It make, does help. It, it does, yeah. And they've picked up some results, and they're looking, you know, Sunday they're looking quite solid, and I think they've uh, bowed themselves out of it. And now you're seeing a few gaps. And I think you know Southampton, they perform like a team that were down. Um, it's 
but they just they just can't get it right at the moment. I think with Southampton, they haven't they haven't got a consistent threat in front of goal. They've got a few players, you know, like Field Walcott, who well past their sell by date. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was you know with at home against Crystal Palace, who are not the best travellers in the league. Mm-hmm. You those are the kind of games you need to pick it up points from. Um, but you know, speaking of Crystal Palace, Roy Hodgson, you know, free flowing football. I take it all back. It's it's happening. And well, it was a, that... it was a move of genius. I don't think anybody saw this. Like Adam, did you see this revival under Roy Hodgson, free scoring Crystal Palace? I think we joked about it on our pod on Thursdays. Um, we didn't see that happening, but it just seems like he's at that point where he just doesn't really have that kind of care anymore. He's mm. like, just go with the flow. Like he's got nothing to lose. And if anything, just builds on his legacy that he built at Crystal Palace. Um, but the interesting thing is he seems to be getting a tune out of players like Eze, for example, now trying to blend them into the squad. They seem to be a bit more direct as well when it comes to attacking play. So whereas they were lacking that, it seems, under Vieira. So although I really did rate Patrick Vieira, seems like they're getting the best out of this current crop. So mm-hmm. he's doing marvellous. When you look at it, I think they're three points off Chelsea now in the league standings. When you think about that, that's just incredible. We're going to um, come on to Chelsea. Yes, We're going to come on to will. Chelsea, but Palace <laughs> are very, very, very close to them. Very close to them. Elsewhere in the relegation battle, of course, Everton did lose 3-1 oh, to Everton. Um, this, this was the level of booing at, Go- at, Go- at Goodison Park. I think it was when the second goal went in. You just heard the whole stadium booing. It feels like, is this job a bit too big for Dyche? Do you think Dyche can do it? And I'm going to give you like one sentence. Do you think Dyche can keep them up? I think he can. I think I think he give it a good crack. I don't think the job's too big for him at all, though. Like, I think I if feel he feel goes... like this one's getting away from him, Adam. How do you feel about? It? I can't. I haven't seen the bounce yet that I expected to see. No, I can't see it because they don't have a striker. They don't have a recognised striker. I think that's going to kill them. But I think what might be a blessing is just the way Nottingham Forest are going about their business at the moment. And that's probably just the issue right now. I had a, I did a predictor a few weeks ago and I had Leicester City and Everton being the other two teams mm-hmm. alongside Southampton. Now I think Nottingham Forest are pretty much being dragged into it. So, yeah, I don't know. It's just going to be down to the head-to-heads, I feel. Because there's a few teams that have to play each other now, I feel. And Leicester City are one of those clubs that have to play a few of those teams around them. So, yeah, yeah, this could be where it goes down to, especially when you look at the grand scheme of the teams that they have to face as well. Because there's a few big teams that a lot of those teams have to face as well at that bottom half of the table. I think goal difference is going to play a big part Mm -hmm. in this as well. Like, for example, Everton are still actually out of the relegation zone on goal difference because they've conceded 10 less goals. They've got a 10-goal swing over Nottingham Forest. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think it could literally go down to goal difference. Obviously, Leeds United, who are still, you know, still in there as well. They're 2-0 down at the moment. Yeah. Mm. Are those kind of games can very easily finish 4-5-0. Mm. Um, if, you take, if you're taking that, um, I think Leicester as well, I think they're devoid of ideas at the moment. I thought, um, you know, Leicester, um, again, you feel like, what's the point? What was the point? Um, yeah. Managers. I, like, I don't see, with the greatest respect to Dean Smith, he is not an upgrade to Brendan yeah. Rodgers, it's a downgrade. Oh. Um, mm. 
And, you know, he didn't really do any good with Norwich. He got them relegated when he came in mid-season. Didn't do anything when he got relegated to get them back up. Um, you know, I think he benefited when he was at Aston Villa through Jack Greenish being on form yeah, and yeah. goal line technology. Um, yeah, yeah, true. There's not yeah. actually much evidence out there to suggest he was the right man to uh, keep them up. And with and I thought with Leicester City, they could have... You know, if you think about Wolves, they've gone for the likes of Lopetegui. You know, Villa have gone for the likes of Unai Emery. With the success they've, relative success they've had over the few years, I felt they could have been a bit more ambitious with their coaching I, appointment. I think that's a very fair point, to be honest. They could have, it feels like they've not aimed high enough, but I also think they sacked Brendan Rodgers with zero plan in mind. Yeah. And they didn't have someone lined up and they've gone, do you want the job? No. Do you want the job? No. And then they've just ended up with him because they offered it to Graham Potter, right? And he said no mm-hmm. straight away. And I think they offered it about, but everyone's just gone, well, uh, no, not now. I've got like two months to save you. It's a bit late. Like, I'm yeah. not that good. And I think a lot of managers are, not gonna, are probably not going to make a decision on that because... They want to know if they're taking over a Premier League club or a Championship club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And it, where Leicester, you know, it's the same with uh, you know, Southampton as well, because I think their managers um, are t- in temporary place mm-hmm. or interim yeah, yeah, yeah. place at the yeah. moment. It feels like the club without a plan have really come a cropper. Um, you should always the clubs should always be looking at who they're managing, who they want in case the manager just leaves tomorrow. Clubs should always have that name on the board of if the manager decides to leave right now, who are we going to approach? You should always have that backup plan, and we've seen that a lot of these clubs definitely haven't. And Leicester definitely didn't see themselves down here at the beginning of the mm. season. They really weren't planning for that, I don't think. But we're going to leave the relegation battle there for now. We're going to go flying back up the table. And I want to very, very quickly-ish talk about Aston Villa. Now, this was the game that kicked off the weekend. Aston Villa um, 3, Newcastle nil in the end. It was 3-0, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it feels like momentum, I think, sums up this, this game. Newcastle, been in the top four the entire season, really looking comfortable, starting to run out of a bit of, looking like they're running out of gas, starting to limp a little bit. And Aston Villa kind of just, absolutely flying since Unai Emery's come in. Kind of reminds me of the play, the teams in the championship that like make a last-minute dash for the playoffs, right? And then somehow win because they're in form. I'm just massively getting that feeling from Villa at the moment. From the first minute, I think 30 seconds in, Ollie Watkins hit the post. Within the first 20 minutes, they'd hit the bar and the crossbar again. Um, they did not give Newcastle a second to think. I was honestly... So impressed with Villa. It was one of the games I enjoyed the most this weekend in terms of a performance. I thought it was one of the performances of the weekend. Um, Adam, I'm going to go for you. What have you made of Emery and Villa? They look absolutely revitalised. Yeah, we were talking about it on Thursday, weren't we? Mm. We were talking about how much of a change Uno Emery's done that Villa, making Watkins the sole kind of striker, you know, getting a tune out of the likes of Leon Bailey, being a bit more solid at the back as well. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think there was a lot of doubts about Alex Moreno and what a performance he's like oh, been player. demonstrating recently. Oh, like, yeah, I'm yeah. so grateful I've got him in my fantasy football team. So yeah, he's yeah, getting me yeah. loads of points at the moment. Yeah, assist there. And Watkins is in my team as well. So he's got mm-hmm. assist and two goals over the weekend. He should have <laughs> had three, it's yeah. fair to say. But yeah, I mean, if you look at those teams that are kind of, in that mix now, I can see them overtaking Spurs as it currently stands. Mm-hmm. They're three points off Spurs now, and then it's only three points then to make it into the top four. So it's, it's not, getting it's not really complete, close. It's not completely outrageous, is it? No. Because, I mean, Spurs are just 
sinking. Mm-hmm. Um, Newcastle have hit a bit of a slump. Um, mm-hmm. And I was looking, I've just been looking at Villa's games now. The only two, which you would say, difficult games you've got is Manchester United away mm-hmm. and Liverpool away, which would be difficult for them. Uh, but a big one could be the, uh, the in May, 13th of May, they've got um, Aston Villa at home. Sorry, Tottenham at home mm-hmm. and Brighton at home. Um, mm-hmm. Last game of the season. That that those yeah, those particular could games could be huge in deciding, um, you know, who gets top four potentially. You know, which version of Europe they'll get. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think uh, I think Villa deserve it. And Ollie Watkins, I think he's second only to Erling Haaland at the moment in goals scored since the World Cup. That's not bad company to be in. And even Gareth Gareth Southgate turned up to watch him. (laughs) I've never seen him jump up for joy as much as I saw on Saturday. He was loving it. Just absolutely loving Watkins' performance. So there's a shout that he could be in a shout for the England's setup now, right? Southgate has to pick a Villa player, surely. He must love Villa the years he spent there. And he has (laughs) to have a little bit of a thing of like, ah, he plays for Villa, I'll give him a shout. I feel like Watkins, honestly, I always thought is... His um his composure still needs a little bit of work. Yeah. Like in that 30 seconds, I know it's like as the game goes on, he hits the post, it's really unlucky. But I still feel like he has the odd moment where he fluffs mm-hmm. the chance. Or and it's just I'm being super critical because I think that is the one thing that takes him from a very good striker to an elite yeah. striker. Because even in the first goal for Villa, um, the Ramsey goal, another exciting youngster that's coming out of Villa yeah. as well, Ramsey, the way Watkins manages to jump so high and get that header back down. He's not that tall, a lad. I don't think he's that tall. Like, he might be like Smith Rowe, where you think he's tiny, but actually six foot two. But I don't think <laughs> Watkins is that tall. But the way he jumps up and gets that header down, I think he's got everything to his game. And mm-hmm. Emery being able to get that out of him is just incredible to watch. And I think you made a good point with the defense as well. Obviously, Martinez is an incredible goalkeeper, made some great saves this game. But Con, uh, Conzo, right? Conzo, Conzo and Conzo, Mings yeah. together. Like, we were laughing at Mings pre-World yeah. Cup, being like, how has this guy ever got in the England squad? And now, again, you're looking at him and you're going, okay, he's a solid, reliable defender. He knows what his job is. And he's able to, like, he's strong. He can keep strikers quiet. I thought he was really, really good. So you're right, Emery getting that defensive sturdiness. And then getting that attacking flair, and co- Moreno is just been coaching, though, unbelievable. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. if you look at how the state that Mings and Watkins were in under Gerrard, it was a night and day difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I think Watkins, well, I was watching match of the day, I was referring to a little bit in his post-match interview that the coach has got him. You know, instead of engaging into physical battles all of the time, it's making more or just running into channels for the sake of running into channels. It's making more intelligent runs, trying to bring others into play. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, it's clear that he's reaping the benefits of hanging an elite coach, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, be able to teach him that kind of stuff. And and that that translates to on the pitch. And so with Mings as well, I I still think overall in the long term, I think Aston Villa will go for better defenders yeah. at yeah, a base yeah. level than Tyrone Mings. But he's certainly got him to a point where he'll still be a reliable option, especially if he get into Europe. It's going to be yeah. quite a big drain on squad resources. People like Tyrone Mings are still going to be 
required. Um, and I think another one he deserves credit is Ashley Young as well. Like he's unbelievable 30, performance. I forget yeah. he exists half the time, but he's thirty-seven. He's always had a very, very good engine on him. He still yeah, plays yeah, like left yeah. wing. Mm-hmm. He plays left wing, right wing, left mid. He plays wherever the team yeah. needs to be. And having that kind of experience in the dressing room is um, is good. And I think. I remember under Gerard, they couldn't, they couldn't, he couldn't pick a best eleven to save his life. No, no every no. single week it was a bit different. Where it feels like he's got a, everybody's got a solid base of what he wants of his team. We have likes of John McGinn playing at a slightly more advanced role, and mm-hmm. um, he's a, he's another one who I feel could play at a higher level potentially. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think he deserves a huge amount of credit. I think the way Aston Villa went out and got him, like we've said it and I'll keep saying it, but they've got the best manager they could they could get. They've gone out and they've got the root, like the ceiling of the manager that was going to go to Aston Villa without being disrespectful. But this manager could take them to the next level and get them like, he's a, he's he is a world-class coach. Well, I think they've got the financial coach. backing to do it as well, haven't they? They, they really have. They're not a poor club. <laughs> like They are not a poor <laughs> club. They're just waiting for that ability to kick on and spend a bit more, I think. And it could come this summer. But before we keep talking about Aston Villa, which you could do, I want to go to you, Adam, and talk about Newcastle starting to kind of... They're, they're very inconsistent, I find. They just can't get that consistency back. I feel like from the beginning of the season up until Christmas, they were just flat. You knew you were going mm. to get an 8 out of 10 performance. That consistency is kind of disappearing. What do you think it's down to? A little bit of experience here as well. I think, you know, he's got the best out of this group of players. And it's fair to say, I wouldn't say it's the most star-studded kind of squad that is in that kind of top five, top six. Um, But I do feel like there's just a little bit of personnel that could do you a lot more in terms of that kind of what to do in certain situations. I think Trippier at times was really struggling to hold on to that defence at times because it was just being dragged out from different angles. So I feel like it's going to happen with this squad um, and that's probably the opportunities for Newcastle next season is how can they build on this current squad. Um, But also the kind of form of Bruno Gomeresh has been quite vital, I feel, for this season. Um, And maybe up top as well, I feel like, maybe just lacking a bit of firepower at the moment. So Isak's done well in patches, I feel. Um, But they need someone that can just give them a bit more of a spark sometimes. You know, I feel that's where they're just lacking at the moment. But yeah, they're not a million miles. I feel feel you're going to have games like this where it just shows that they're just lacking ideas. And against other teams, I, I don't think they have that same issue. But certainly I feel like they got to that, was it Carling Cup essentially final? And that's where a little bit of that momentum's gone. If that, that wasn't in the way, I feel they probably would have cemented a top four place by now. Yeah, it does feel like it's kind of petering out, running out mm. of steam there up in the northeast. They'll still be in Europe, just maybe not the top four. We'll see. Elsewhere in the Premier League, we're kind of sticking in the same region. I've saved the dessert, right? So Sunday was a pretty horrible day. Yesterday afternoon, evening was pretty grim. The missus turned around to me and was like, should we go for a walk? I think she could tell I was in a bad mood. But all <laughs> I had to do was sit back and think about Saturday and how delicious those games were. And we're going to start with, oh, should we start in West London or North London? Uh, Andy, I'm going to let you pick. Oh, let's start in North London. North <laughs> London. Now, I don't know if you saw the video of those Tottenham uh, those Tottenham influencers that are always on Spurs TV, is it? He's in the stadium, and as the goal goes in, his granddad just walks off. He's like, Grandpa's had enough. And he just sees <laughs> the whole stadium emptying as Watara makes it 3-2. 
bloody hell, Spurs. Now, I think Stellini, they've they've kind of brought him in as a last-minute replacement, you know, Conte's assistant. But they all seem surprised that he plays exactly the same role <laughs> as Conte. Yeah. Right? Is anyone else not surprised by this? Andy, what do you think? Could it be less it, surprising? I just, although, it's just the fact they've... They've literally gone with the approach of uh, you know, definitive insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and just expect <laughs> different results. And they've got somebody who's going to do the same thing over and over again. <laughs> it's just a little bit less angry about doing it over yeah. and over again. <laughs> That's about the only difference that I can see uh... between Conte and him. It's a very, it's, yeah, I don't understand where there's, there's, there's actively unemployed managers who they could have literally just got in um, yeah, yeah. and they've just chosen not to. And it feels like this time that they're wasting by not... You know, typical Levy's penny pinch. He doesn't want to go out and get a manager until mm-hmm. the start of the new season. <laughs> and it just doesn't make any sense. He could have very easily, as an example, got got Pochettino in, got the crowd on side... Get get bedded in, get, have a have a good seven or eight games to get bedded into the end of the season. Potentially, you know, get the Champions League because suddenly mm-hmm. things aren't looking too bad again. Um, no, and they 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 they're kind of coasting. Uh, mm-hmm. They haven't a bit like Leicester, and they they haven't they don't seem to have much of a plan. They're just coasting to the end of the season and going well. Let's see where we are at the end of the season and go mm-hmm. from there. And I think the fans feel like. Daniel Levy's not taking the situation very, very seriously alongside their... Alongside everybody else in the football world. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it does feel like Daniel Levy has... He doesn't seem to truly acknowledge or take any sort of responsibility to the problems that are happening at Spurs. No. Um, no. You know, no. everyone's turning around. I think, I think I saw, like, I can't remember what it was, but the Spurs Supporters Trust wrote, wrote an open letter going, these are all the things that are wrong with your club. And they get a reply back essentially saying, cool, thanks, but we'll crack on anyway. <laughs> yeah. We we will take your criticism on board. Yeah, And yeah, ignore yeah. it. And ignore it completely. Well, I think the mad thing is, like, you're right. I still don't think Pochettino long-term would have been the right choice, but I think you're right. This is an they, example, isn't it? Yeah, no, I know. But I, I mean, they, you're right to an extent that it would have worked short-term at least because it would have had that boost of the change of regime that, you know, right, it's a fresh dawn. Everyone can smile again. Conte isn't going to beat you to death. But what they've done is just got his assistant and the regime remains. There's no mood change. There's no like, now it's just, oh, we're not listening to the to the, like the organ, like the monkey grinder. We're listening to the organ, if you know what I mean. Like it's yeah. not, it's just his assistant. I feel like it seems like a really, almost the worst thing you could have done. Um, so for Spurs within this performance, um, Davison Sanchez being subbed on, then subbed off. He's had oh, a load of horrific abuse terrible. after the game as well, which again is inexcusable. His performance was shocking, but I think he was by far, like he was even, sorry, far from the the worst mm. player on the pitch. Far I from thought the Pedro only. Porro had an absolute horror show next to yeah. They're playing the back three, and unfortunately, Sanchez and Porro were quite close in proximity mm-hmm. to each other a lot of the time and you know the first sort of form of goal was as a result of just losing the ball um yeah. in you know Porro losing the ball and I think with Sanchez it's just one of those like when it's not your day it's not your day yeah, like yeah. you stick your foot out it goes to the net or you stick your foot out it goes to somebody else straight yeah, in their yeah, path 
Um, and I was, having, I was having a look on Twitter to see what the sense check was. I do follow some Spurs fans, and I think there's just a frustration there because he's, I think, the general consensus is clearly not good enough, and any other top club would have moved him on mm-hmm. years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, it's similar. It's a, it's the same kind of complaints, I guess. I've seen that man, you know, when observing Manchester United and seeing how other fans react to it, it's a similar kind of thing. But I think um, Sanchez just bore the brunt of what was a, a Spurs crowd just dissatisfied, not just with him in general, but everything around it. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I think, unfortunately for him, he was just a full guy that day. Um, I'll, I'll be honest, nothing makes me laugh more, though, than a, a Spurs' new signing being absolutely disastrous. <laughs> because like, he spent loads of money and he's utter, he looks completely out of his depth. But I think you're right. I think, like, it was just everything together, wasn't it? And it all got focused on Davison Sanchez. I hope he's, like, okay. If you know I mean, it looked like he was really mm. affected by it. But for Spurs, like, we've just had a comment from Emric Milage, a friend of the pod from the Smoking Snake pod, the only English language podcast about the Brazilian uh, Brazilian football, Brazilian league. So check that one out. But he is commenting here. I don't know what is wrong with Spurs, but to me, it seems like the team is a divided group, which does not believe in the club, the project manager or the tactics. I think you're absolutely right. And I also think the players like Kane, Son, like the the good players in that squad, look at the other players in the squad and know that they're not of the level. I think Harry mm-hmm. Kane now looks at Eric Dyer and maybe Davison Sanchez and other players and goes, "If we, you are not what we need to be where we want to be. And it must cause that. Oh, like Harry Kane's just been surrounded by mediocrity his entire career, apart from two years under Pochettino. Like, Adam, what do you think the issues are at Spurs? And then we'll give a, a lot of praise to Bournemouth as well. But what do you think yeah. the issues are at Spurs? Um, I think the best analogy I heard was today where they described the Harry Kane situation where he's basically in a escape room that he can't escape from, basically. Because <laughs> he can't find endless. the final key. It's endless <laughs> because there's no no way of getting out of it. It's just <laughs> continuous, basically. But um, the issues are just top to bottom, isn't it? I mean, mm. you've got different kind of interpretations within the squad because a lot of that squad's been made up of multiple like managers during the course of the probably last five to six years for example then you've got the fact that Levy you don't know what kind of elements that he wants to achieve because we know he just wants money into the club but he also tries to back his managers at times but he doesn't at the same time then give them enough like we've seen with Pochettino to begin with, then obviously with Mourinho, and then it's followed on with Conte as well. So you've got that element to it. Uh, And just the players themselves, they're just not good enough. They aren't good enough for the level of where Spurs want to aspire to be at. They were, I think, lucky to be in a Champions League for as many seasons as they were. Um, But players like Ben Davies, for example, and Eric Dyer, for example, I don't think should be at that club if they aspire to be in the top four, top five. Um, you know, they should be looking and aspiring to get younger kind of players that are at a certain ability point of view. If you look at the comparison of, say, a Newcastle or maybe Aston Villa, because they're fighting for that kind of same position, I probably fancy one of those squads being more likely to challenge in the Champions League, to be honest. And I think that that's the difference. Like Spurs have kind of put the brakes on, but not continued that investment piece as well. But 
there has to be a sense of realism with Spurs as well, because I, I think they've got this mentality of they should be up there, but actually mm-hmm. their squad is probably no more than mid table. If you mm-hmm. uh, like play it against like a Brighton side, I think you, you get more for your money out of a Brighton side in the same kind of position as well. So if you put Harry Kane, for example, in that Brighton squad, I think you easily see that a lot higher. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, yeah, that's yeah. the levels that I'm talking about. So mm-hmm. when you're talking about just the types of players that say, if you compare like for like with Brighton, I think most of those players actually make Spurs a better team. And that, mm-hmm. that's the analogy that I would give. I like that a lot. Harry Kane in the Brighton team also sounds like absolutely that. That is a, that could be a, a football manager experiment <laughs> that I need to do. I need to I need to simulate that on Football Manager. But we do also need to very quickly talk about what a finish, Watara, with a beautiful little chop inside and a tuck into the far corner um, to make it three-two. O'Neill has done an incredible mm. job at Bournemouth. I think people really aren't deep in actually how well he's done. He was brought in as a kind of crap. We can't get anyone else now. Scott Park is <laughs> yeah. gone. And he's got them now. Are they seven points clear of the relegation zone? I just need to double check. They're on 33. They are five points clear of the relegation yes. zone as it stands. Still an incredible achievement for a team that most people thought were relegated. Andy, do you think that um, O'Neill can keep them up? It's looking pretty encouraging. They've, looking, they caused Arsenal problems, caused Liverpool problems. And I think at the moment, there's three teams definitely that play worse than uh, Bournemouth. But I think what I've quite liked of O'Neill is that he hasn't he hasn't complained. You know, Scott Parker literally just tore the squad to pieces. Terry Rather said they were shit. Um, and then expected to keep his job afterwards, whereas um, O'Neill's I kind of forgot you know, that happened. Yeah, yeah, and well, that's why O'Neill's is in the job at the moment because yeah. he got towards he got battle was it nine nil by Liverpool. Parker just went there. There's fuck all I can do. They're all shit. We need more. We need you know we need more players. Or you might as well sack me. And uh, Bournemouth went okay. <laughs> Off you cool. go then. Bye. Um, uh, I don't think uh, you know. He obviously wasn't a planned movement from that side of things, but they clearly made the right they made the right decision for the harmony of the dressing room. And I think with Bournemouth as well, that they, they'd very much set themselves up. So if they did go down this season, they hadn't overcommitted financially, so it wouldn't be a disaster. So I think a lot of the focus has been on getting what they out of the squad they've um getting what they can out of the squad they've got. Um and I think you know they have um invested a little bit, you know, made some smart investments. Marcus Tavernier coming from Borough. Um, mm-hmm. He's been a smart signing for him. And the player I was really impressed with uh, at the week was Matthias Vinner uh, yeah. from Roma um, mm-hmm. at the moment. And he was lethal at left wing back. He was... Um, he had poor on toast all day long. Yeah, um, he showed early signs when he was at Roma. He had a few good games when he started and then kind of faded a bit. But it's good to see him kind of starting to do well with Bournemouth because I thought when I when he came into Serie A, I thought ah this could be a player, but it just kind of faded away a little bit. Um, but yeah, I, I think you're absolutely spot on with Bournemouth. They are really properly making strides. But we do need to move on because we've got one more game in the Premier League that we need to discuss, and it's probably the tastiest of all. Um, breaking news, Todd Bowley has just bid for Brighton. He's decided that he's giving up on Chelsea and he's just going to take the shortcut and buy Brighton instead. 
Um, my favorite story from this weekend, I don't know, it's hard to pick, um, but it probably has to be that Todd Bowley spent an hour in the changing room um, with the Chelsea squad afterwards. Apparently, there was a new player who they spent a lot of money on, who is disillusioned with his life at Chelsea. This could literally be anyone in that room at this point who, <laughs> rolled, who rolled his eyes and looked very disgruntled when Todd Bowley and Lampard tried to rally the troops. Um, I'm going to go to you, Adam. What do you think Todd Bowley said? I'm convinced he was just talking about the draft for an hour and all the players were just looking lost. Um, what do you think Todd Bowley opened with? What do you think he was trying to I get I think across? he went... James Corden told me, and then <laughs> <laughs> basically something along those lines. Um, but yeah, whatever he said, probably bullshit, wasn't it? It was just mm -hmm. so much crap. And it sounds like uh, we saw the kind of articles in The Athletic about Potter. I think it kind of stems even deeper than just Potter. It is definitely a lot about the ownership right now and how much mm -hmm. they're trying to steer this club and they're not really get into grips with it at the moment i mean you can see by the appointment of lampard what do they expect we've been slating them for i think on a daily basis i think i've seen a comment by andy every, every day about think, the situation think, yeah, <laughs> you know what <laughs> rich, right on the bbc website this came up about three hours ago on the bbc website frank lampard has said that people saying that chelsea are currently broken is a bit much <laughs> that is a genuine actual quote that's on the BBC website at the moment. This is in the press conference leading up to the Real Madrid game tomorrow, which they um, lost. It's <laughs> it's just um, it's just a woefully dysfunctional club, and they've they've spent you know they've cleaned through like half what half a billion quid near enough. And this, you know, <laughs> their Colin Gallagher's still starting for him. Granted, he scored a sweaty goal. Uh, he scored. Uh, At least he's yeah, in he the scored. back of the net. At least somebody is, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> you know, Kepa Riza Balaga still is, is, a, is a number one at the moment. And, um, you know, Mudrick, I think he'll I think he'll work for him eventually. It's just the fact he's cost you might have to leave quid. the club though. <laughs> yeah, it won't, he has to go <laughs> he already. Leave. He has to go. Yeah, but like, he can't, it's... can he? He's on an eight year contract. He ain't <laughs> yeah. going anywhere. That's the thing. It's just um uh, and you can tell that they still have absolutely no idea how to play as a team. Yeah, I think what summed it up was actually the lead up to Brighton's um goal. Um, I think you know we're all obviously we're going to be talking this goal for like bloody months from in Cisco, but it's oh. the fact that Gal Felix thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to try and dribble through four or five players and think I'm going to get somewhere. Mm -hmm. There's nobody around him. There's nobody supporting him. He just went into no man's land with no idea what he was supposed to be doing. Gave mm -hmm. the ball away, um, and it's things like that where you look at it and go, "There's clearly no whatever you're doing of a trading ground." Which, under fact, Lampard could be doing anything. To be honest, <laughs> uh, your guess from, is as good as mine. Yeah, I can't from stick it in the goal hole, mate. Watching his highlights package, that's it. It's just him watching his but goals. Yeah, on repeat. I, I could training session just watching Frank Lampard highlights package and just go, look, just do what I did and stick it top bins on 25 <laughs> <Yeah>. yards. <laughs> just score goals. <laughs> just score goals. Look how good yeah. I used to be, guys. Look how but good so, I used to yeah, be. 
but seriously, don't concede too many. <laughs> that's basically, <laughs> yeah. that's basically uh, Frank Lampard's training stages. I can see it, but uh, obviously we'll, we'll go on to Brighton now. And I think mm. you know, for you guys, we'll continue. We'll say that they're an exceptionally well-run club. We just spawn wonder kids on a weekly basis. It feels like. Mm-hmm. Um, Cesar's like come from nowhere, hasn't he? Absolutely yeah. banged it top bins and yeah. just looked incredible. I was like, how do they keep doing this? They've got like a main line to like human traffickers in South America or something. <laughs> it's like shipping them through. Like it's just endless. It's absolutely endless. It's insane. That goal, I hadn't heard anything about the goal as well. I just saw that he'd scored oh. and I was watching Match of the Day and I was like, Shit, where did that come from? <laughs> like, what a hit! But Brighton look most of Alan Partridge there. It's like, shit, did you see that? <laughs> yeah. Did you see that? Yeah, unbelievable goal. Um, but for Brighton, they are still looking, and I'm gonna go to you, they're still looking like they're pushing for it. Deserby's got them playing incredible football and an endless mm-hmm. conveyor belt of talent. Evan Ferguson had to go off injured. I was absolutely gutted. We need him mm. not injured all the time. Um, but how excited are you by Brighton? And they're getting a tune out of Welbeck still. Yeah, I think they are. I, we we know about Deserbi and what he did in Italy, for example. But I feel like this is the most complete Deserbi squad that I've seen. Like we mm. always joked about when Deserbi joined, there'll be lots of goals at the other end. But they've been so solid at the back that it's allowed them to be this kind of a momentous team that seems to be so solid across the whole field that they're owning it in every department. And even with that kind of piece that you mentioned, even Ferguson coming off for Danny Welbeck, Danny Welbeck does the same attributes in terms of how he should play. He knows what to do in those situations. He knows he's got to be the focal point and he kind of comes off the and peels off the central defender to nod back home for one of the goals. That is basically what the replica of Evan Ferguson is meant to be doing. So I think he's got the best squad available to him. It's a shame about the Spurs result the previous week because I think that should have been three points. They should be, in my head, about six points clearer than where they are because there's obviously other games been really fobbed off. But yeah, I think they're going to put a real big push towards the end of the season. I I can see them being at least in the top six to seven positions. Mm -hmm. I just don't know where they're going to end because it depends on the form of the others. I can see Spurs slipping out at the moment and it's got to be one other. So, yeah, yeah. I, I've got high hopes for Brighton and, you know, let's hope they can keep hold of Deserby. It'd be nice if mm. Deserby could build on this squad going into next season as well. So Yeah, there's um, already he's getting linked with every club in England now, isn't he? But before we move on, because we need to go to Serie A, we do have a message from Mon Sportif. All right, boys, supporting QPR, the only saviour for my love of football is currently Chelsea. God <laughs> bless Chelsea. They're cheering us all up. And I just thought as a little bit of a like, DJ Steve, should we hear Chelsea's fixtures coming up? Because they are only three points ahead of Palace, remember. They still have to play Manchester United away, Brentford at home, Arsenal away, Bournemouth away, Forest at home, they should win that, City away, Newcastle at home, Bright... Oh, oh no, yeah, and Newcastle at home is their last game of the season. So they've still got to play four teams in the top five mm. and three of them are away. So they've got some rough fixes coming up. If they don't start winning games, they could find themselves in a relegation battle. If Arsenal got linked with relegation in bloody February, whatever it was, two <laughs> seasons ago, I am linking Chelsea to relegation now and I'm doing it happily. But guys, we are going to leave it there and we're going to go for our Serie A section right after 
this. My name is Massimo Morales and you are listening to Anglo-Italian Podcast. Ciao, benvenuti. We're a little bit late, but that is typical Italian fashion. It will be fine. <laughs> and we're here to talk all things Serie A. And we're going to start, we're going to do it chronological, right? We said chronological yeah, we order. we said chronological and order. we are going to start in the capital as Lazio. We predicted this to be a bit of a tougher game than it actually was. I thought Spezia were going to cause them some problems. Mm-hmm. Turns out, no. Lazio saw to a 3-0 win. Adam, I'm going to throw straight to you. Lazio mm-hmm. looking easily the second best team in Serie A this year. At the moment, on current form, definitely. I think we've got this court case on Wednesday, which may see Juventus have their 15 points reinstated. Mm. But up until that point, still... Lazio still, I think, are two points ahead of them as it currently stands with their 15 points reinstated. So, um, yes, technically second best team. And yeah, by margin, I think they've been probably the team that we've most underwritten in terms of where that we expected them to kind of be as well. Um, in this match, I mean, it has to be said, Spezia did own it for the first couple of minutes. Uh, Enzolo in particular was very unlucky. He could have got an early goal in this match. Mm-hmm. Um, but as soon as Lazio got this penalty, which was I felt was a bit harsh on Ampadu, who seemed to get the foot mm-hmm. in, but it was awarded probably rightly and Immobile steps up and scores. So that really did help Lazio go into the second half. Felipe Anderson adds a second before, obviously, Ampadu gets a second yellow card and is sent off. And then you saw basically a counter-attack filled in and it was quite a comfortable win for Lazio in the end. I saw much of this second half, to be fair. And Lazio, in typical Sari kind of style ball, they keep well, they keep the ball well. Um, they keep creating chances. That's the thing. And I think this is one of those sides that, would be very interesting to see in a Champions League. I, I really think Sergei Milinkovic Savic, you know, being in one of those big kind of ties, I think would really do quite well. Um, Zakani on the form that he's been in as well, yeah. he's been incredible. But just special word to that defense as well. I mean, we had Federico obviously on our pods talk about Lazio, and boy, I mean, they're just living up to expectations, so mm-hmm. totally deserve it. And yeah. On the balance of form, when you look at the other teams that are kind of chasing Napoli, they deserve to be in second place. So Yeah, place I, I, I think, and we talked about them last season, what they lacked was consistency. And this season, they have still struggled at times, but in general, yeah. they've had a bit more consistency. I feel like Sadi has really got the floor of that team mm. up much higher. Like the minimum that you expect from them is much higher than last season. The second goal, I think it was, the move is just oh, absolutely... Beautiful. The just lots of little short passes around the edge of the box that we know Sadi loves. But when it works, it just looks incredible. It was just super, super beautiful football. And it was just, yeah, I absolutely love watching it. And I think as someone who's not a fan of Lazio, to be able to sit and enjoy watching them play is actually quite nice, really. At least they play decent football. Um, But with Sadi, he's going to have to do it on a shoestring because Latito doesn't like spending money, but they will (laughs) give him time. They will give him time. And if he can build that team and they can get a few more clever free signings, and like you said, keeper Milinkovic-Savic because you've got Champions League, he's more likely to stay. If they can do that, I really feel like Sadi can build something there. Um, and maybe 
they can bring the Scudetto back to back to the capital in a few years' Ooh. time under Sari. I think there's a project building there. There's a project building. Definitely. Um, but Spezia, we did expect a little bit more. We do have to say, though, after the game, Ciro Immobile was involved in a crash with a tram in Rome, his family in the car. Thankfully, it seems like everyone is okay, not too badly injured, but we hope that everyone is fine and we hope to see Immobile back on the pitch and his family back in the stands before long. Hopefully not too yeah. long. But yeah, we're thinking of you, Chiro. We'll see you soon. Um, but um, Andy, anything to say about Lazio, Sari Ball? Did you enjoy what you saw? Yeah, um, it's it felt like that second goal. They're literally trying to walk it in the net. I yeah. think they could have done. They just taken it past the goalkeeper and walked it in from two yards long. You know, like when you were a kid, get down on your knees and head it in or something yeah. like that. So, um, I think this with Surrey, um, he's obviously a little bit of a complex fellow because he's you know he has been at clubs where he hasn't gotten too well mm-hmm. with the players or the fan base. I think. Lazio seem to be giving him the conditions for him to work effectively. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got a bunch of players that are totally invested in his methods. He's got a board that will back him. So for when results aren't too good, which, you know, the worst stages early in the season where it was a little bit iffy, um, they'll have the patience for that. Whereas at clubs like Juventus and uh, Chelsea, where he's been at, losing two or three games in a row, like that, you're under pressure. Mm-hmm. then there's there's no work for your philosophy kind of thing. Um, so I think he's making the most out of, you know, because most of that squad's been there for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you know, the yeah, likes yeah. of Luis Alberto, Immobile, Anderson, um, they've, they've been at the club for a good three, four, five years. Um, so he's, he's obviously making the most out of what he has. And I think, as you say, with a few smart signings in the summer, especially to get Champions League football, they could be... It could be a real, real force. Fingers crossed for the Laziali. It would be good to see another mm. team challenging for the title another year in Serie A and see how many winners, how many different winners we can get <laughs> consecutively, see if we can break a record. But we're going to leave Lazio there for now and we're going to go to the Saturday and we're going to go to a team that's having a bit less fun, a bit less attacking verve, a lot more boring. Adam, where do you think we're going? I think it may be Inter. Is it? Correct, you win. <laughs> You've hit the target more than Inter did against Bonzo in an hour and a half. It's worth a football as Inter. Bloody hell. Their, their form now looks hilarious. They've not won in nine, but then they've beaten Benfica 2-0 um, away. It is utterly baffling what is happening at Inter, but I've seen a few points raised. Um, and I want to give a shout out to Kyle, who listens to the show a lot. He's been listening to us since Dundalk days, since we had the Dundalk manager on. He made a really good point about how they've got no one who can beat a defender one-to-one. They've got no natural mm-hmm. dribblers of the ball. So if a team plays low block against them, that's yeah. it. Like there's yeah. no one to break the lines. There's no one to like get that minute, that moment of magic. And then you've got Lukaku, who I thought genuinely he'd, he'd started getting a bit of form and he'd started getting mm. his confidence up a bit. I know they were penalties he was scoring, but it was still goals. And you hope that it's kind of like getting him back there. But another match where Inter just lacked any form of creativity and it just felt inevitable that Monza were going to get the goal. Adam, I'm going to go to you first. What do you think? What did you think of the performance? What are Inter? I don't understand. No one seems to understand them at the moment. And I mean, the fact that you had for that, even that goal... No one was marking the mm-hmm. defender in question. 
He's an ex into youth player. Yeah. I mean, that kind he of scored against them the last match as well. I he, think. Yeah, and this is a problem. It just seems to be like they just lose focal points around what they should be doing. I, I we've spoken about Inzaghi being more of a cup manager than he is a league manager, and like even Inter Milan fans are doing memes of. The ideal scenario would be Conte in a league, Inzaghi in the, the car. Do a job share. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it just, the problem is there's huge issues at the top of, and that's, you know, sunning, et cetera. But then you've got the whole issues with the way the club is being run at the moment. And even Inzaghi, I think he's just losing patience with the whole project. So I, don't, I feel like he's lost the love at the moment. But I think we rightly allude to the point of Tommy when he spoke about that particular signing of Inzaghi to the club. He didn't fancy it. I don't think Inter fans really fancied Inzaghi. And I think on the basis of that, I think the issues are there. It's just, you know, he's not the right manager for them, unfortunately. It feels like despite the fact, even if he does win in the Champions League, it almost feels like this would be the perfect opportunity to break away and just go for something else completely. <laughs> if you win some that. Champions League, then the footballing gods have a very, very good sense of humour. I think it's exactly. insane. Um, but I think a lot of it does come down to the squad as well. I think what mm. I saw from that performance was a lack of will to actually go oh. and win the game. I think I saw, like, Inzaghi can... There's no way Inzaghi coaches the team to, like, not take shots to not make that extra run to not put pressure on the ball to like there's no way he doesn't he coaches that if you know what I mean it's just it seemed to me the squad just they know that the league's kind of done they're kind of the the problem is they're going to end up sleepwalking into the Europa League but I think they're counting on other teams to be as inconsistent as they are and they've lost their focus his inability to get them focused again is where that issue is but i think the squad we're seeing a lack of focus but in the champions league they can see that there's something there right and i think mm. maybe that's what we're seeing i don't know what you think but let's say hypothetically juventus overturn their 15 points deduction mm -hmm. they are precariously like on the edge they could be kicked yeah. out or not have european football next season that's how bad it could be for inter which for that club financially is is yeah financial Trouble. suicide for them basically yeah. It um, is, it, yeah it's it's important and it's it's kind of it's big what's happening there at the moment um and i think there's more rumors of inter being bought and sunning being close to a deal with i think it's the pif the same people who own newcastle so, apparently yeah, they're interested is. now there's been pace picking up there um but andy monza another massive scalp um for Bellasconi's boys Incredible to see. We're seeing quite a lot of upsets. Um, what did you make of the goal? It was a little bit of crap defending, but decent header. It's de decent header. It's just take. It's just making the uh, in fact it's an ex into youth player as well, yeah. and he uh, he's somebody who's taken his. He's gone the roundabout way to try and get back to a top level. He went to Wolfsburg, mm -hmm. didn't work out too well from here, but he's done quite. He's done really well since he's been at Monza, um, and yeah, it was just a, it was just a really. His sort of goal you practice on the training ground, you know, he was mm -hmm. behind one defender, so he had a little love train, I think they call it. Yeah, <laughs> like two or three players. Um, You're referring to the prostitutes or this actual match? <laughs> yeah, that's after the game <laughs> yeah, as well. Yeah, that's right? after the game, right? Yeah. <laughs> what we do after the game, who knows? That's there, but at the end of the day, I'm sure Ben will sort that out for them. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, on the pitch, obviously, they had you know, the, the corner strategy, we basically got two or three players into a cluster or 
four sort of rotating around each other. Um, and yeah, I think the defending was poor. Again, you know, at the moment, they're rocking a back three of Darmian, who have never particularly rated, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. And the fact he's still a starting fixture in the inter team is very worrying. Uh, and I think Bastoni hasn't hit his levels that we've seen him hit um over the past couple of years i think inter could have played for about two hours three hours and not scored um you know they're snatching at just lukaku's a classic confidence player Mm -hmm. you know inter saw the best of lukaku when he was confident he was playing every single week and he was scoring every single week Mm -hmm. um but he's i find his head goes down a little bit and he just starts snapping at shots a little bit. Mm. And his sometimes his body language doesn't look particularly great. And that's not just that inter. I think he had that at, when he was at Chelsea last season. He did it when he was at Manchester United. There seems to be this mental thing where he gets quite down if things aren't going mm. in his favour. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're definitely seeing that. And we're definitely seeing like the fact that Martinez has had a hit and miss season as well. It yeah, just, dreadful. I think he hasn't got over that dreadful World Cup, though. I mean, all right. Yeah. He's, well, I suppose there it's not dreadful that. in the fact he's a World Cup winner. Uh, so I suppose. But he didn't play dreadful. well. He, he didn't, didn't play. No. no. He had, this, he had no. a few stinkers, didn't he? That's it. And I think that partnership was so key for them under Conte. That Lukaku Lautaro partnership was what won them, like, was a major part of what won them the Scudetto. And seeing both of them misfiring at the same time, I think the lack of creativity in midfield is still an issue. Like that number 10, they just don't have. I know that, like, they didn't anticipate obviously what was going to happen with Christian Eriksen. It was a disaster, like, it was a disaster for him personally and also for Inter as a club because they didn't go out and get another player. He was going to be their number 10 for the next few years. They've not replaced him and I feel like they're just lacking that creativity in midfield. And as Kyle, um, friend of the show, pointed out, I think they do need someone who can actually dribble the ball, someone with a bit of pace. They should be looking at players like we've talked about from Spezia, Algelo. You can be looking at Defrel from the Sassuolo, mm. getting a big goal this weekend, which we're about to yeah. move on to. Um, I think there's plenty of players there that Inter could be looking at. Um, it's about if they have the money, which we know they don't, so they need to be creative. <laughs> um, but the stories coming out today is that Lukaku definitely will not be staying at Inter next mm-hmm. season. They are going to send him back to Chelsea. Kind of, is anybody surprised very quickly? Is anybody surprised? No. Not really. Um, there's another player to take up more room in the Chelsea dressing room, <laughs> Chelsea. which is going to be fun. All corridor. <laughs> yeah, all corridor, all corridor. Um, but yeah, Inter need to be very creative in this transfer market. We shall see how it goes. And just for God's sake, get top four. That's all you need to do. But we're going to go on. We've given him a quick shout out. But Defrel makes it 1-0 to Sassuolo as they beat Juventus. Now, on the way home from work today, I was kind of pondering Juventus and a few of my a few of my uh, students are Juventus fans. They always annoy me. And there's been a lot <laughs> of stories coming out this week about conspiracy theories. They're talking about Calciopoli again. They're talking about this uh, plus Valencia and how, you know, it's not only them, it's other teams. And I just, it struck me, if Donald Trump was transformed into a football club, he would become <laughs> Juventus. It is what they are. They are cheating consistently. They live off lies. All they do is I feel bend like the Barcelona truth. runs in close. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, if Donald Trump's Italian and <laughs> uh, let's say Bellasconi, that kind of works. Um, but he, yeah, they live off lies. They bend the truth. They cheat constantly, and all they do is point fingers at other people. I feel like it's just 
they are so so similar <laughs> and all of this comes out just as Juventus are, are obviously those horrific videos come out about the racism pointed at Lukaku and if you are have any doubt about how powerful that team is in Italy how oh, yeah. powerful that club is there is now a documentary next week coming out on Italian TV online all about Calciopoli over 15 years after it happened or 10 what no just under yep. 10 years since it happened 15 years since it happened mm-hmm. A documentary exposing the truth, all because Juventus don't want to be talking about the the racism row that's going on within their stadium and their fan base, and within Italian football as well. So I just wanted to point get that out before there, before we actually look at the football. Fuck Juventus, but we'll talk about Sassuolo. <laughs> then we'll talk about Juventus. An incredible win for Sassuolo. They've had a bit of an up and down season, but they're starting to get a tune out of some of their players. Adam, how impressed were you with them? I feel like we're starting to see the old Sassuolo again. We lost them for a while. If we we did, they had little kind of spurts. I feel in the course of the season, but yeah, I mean it was fantastic performance overall. Loriente again proving his worth, dragging the defenders out, and that kind of caused that issue that led to the corner essentially. So the corner comes in. Fajoli, I do feel sorry for the kid, but he snatches yeah. at that kind of clearance. Doesn't really make a clear connection. And Defrel just like latches it past, obviously, is pairing in goal because uh, Chesney at the moment, he's um, had a wobbly during the week. I think it was a sporting game where he had to come yeah, off yeah. because he was complaining about chest pains. Probably should ease off those cigarettes, Chesney. Yeah, probably um, doesn't help. That's probably, <laughs> probably doesn't, doesn't help, help. probably. <laughs> <laughs> um, but apart from that, the Juventus did give them a bit of a scare towards the end of the mm. match. Di Maria coming on, creating some opportunities. Um, but Baradi as well, having some opportunities. That I thought for Atezi, if anything, he's been a player that we've been speaking for a number of times with Sassuolo. I think he's going to make a move this summer, it feels mm-hmm. like, that he's yeah. going to make a move to someone. It's just a question of who. Um, but he had a fantastic game as well. But a special word also for their goalkeeper. I always forget his name, but Consigli. I had him in Fantacalcio and he was terrible, but he made some really good (laughs) saves this Made some impressive saves in this match. In particular, I think he tipped one from Vlavic, who, again, Mm. apparently he's been rumoured to be on the move, potentially. If anyone can... uh, Save it's too late. 80 million and spend it on him, potentially Chelsea, probably more likely. Um, but yeah, I yeah, I think there's issues at Juventus, um, just the way they are. I think this is the Juventus side that we're used to seeing. This is a Juventus that were at the beginning of the season really struggling and they're just showing it a bit now. I think Paredes, did you see the clip of Allegri going yeah. mental at Paredes not being ready on the sidelines? Yeah, it, it, it feels feel like, like it, it feels like Allegri is kind of because Juventus have been doing very well. You have to remember that like they've put together an incredible run of form without the plus Valencia, without them cheating, they would be in second, (laughs) right? Like they have, Allegri has done very well. But what I feel happens is his man management is really lacking at times. Because I think with Paredes, he's obviously, now Paredes is a player that's had issues everywhere he's played, right? I think at PSG he was a nightmare as well. Like he's quite hard to manage. Mm. But even with like Fajoli, the way you take him off, instantly after that mistake that's not how you treat a youth player i don't think because you could see him on the bench crying like and i feel like allegri at some at times the players like when things get a little bit hard or get a little bit rough maybe they don't look at him as someone they can trust and who's going to give them a break they look at him and go oh crap if i fuck up then i'm out of the team or i'm not getting it maybe his man management needs to be worked on a little bit this is a bit of a freak result because like i said juventus have been in very good form 
But what we also saw was the conservativeness of Allegri and Juventus coming back to bite them because when you're not going to go for the throw, when a team does get 1-0 ahead, you kind of find it hard to shift into that final gear again. And he's not been getting a tune out of those attacking players the entire season. Chiesa, I know he's had his injury issues, but he's been anonymous this year when he has come back. Vlavic needs to get out of that club ASAP. Like Di Maria has been their, their best attacker this year, you would say. And even he, any anyone who's ever watched him who or who supports the club he's played for would say he's pretty hit and miss at times. Yeah. Like he's not exactly consistent. So it does feel like that lack of putting in the work to get attacking threat from the squad is really paying off in games like this where you just can't just turn it on. It needs to be a, a habit, a groove, and Juventus just don't have it. Um, but Andy, I'm going to throw over to you. We need to talk about Vlavic. We need to talk about Vlavic. This guy was, last season when I was talking about him, I said it's it's Mbappe, Haaland and Vlavic in terms of the most exciting strikers in the world. He's taken a bit of a drop off. Um, where do you see him going? What do you see happening with Vlavic from here? I think it depends on uh, Juve's appeal, doesn't it? And where they finish mm. in the season and what that looks like for them financially. So, but I think there is um, certainly a market. I think it might be a mutually beneficial arrangement. I think um, even this season, you know, he's got eight goals in 21 games. It's still a one in three return. It's still not a bad yeah. return. Uh, certainly not £60 million worth, but it's not, you know, completely terrible. And I think a lot of clubs could still see the potential in this, you know, um, the Royal Clubs are certainly in England. Uh, I think Arsenal, you'd, you'd potentially mention as one. Um, you know, Man United being another. There's a few clubs, Chelsea as well. Mm -hmm. There's a few clubs that'll be, um, you know, they're after, definitely going to uh, buy him, aren't they? Yeah, <laughs> there's a few clubs out there after reliable number nine. And you know what? Mm -hmm. The, the most successful Chelsea strikers in the past two, if you think of likes of Diego Costa, Didier Drogba you know, big rampaging goal machines yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, who've got a really good all-round game and really bully defenders. I think uh, Valvich could sort of fit into that sort of old Chelsea mould. And, you know, mm. with the sort of quality, you know, Chelsea have got good footballers as to whether they can get a good enough coach to actually mm -hmm, put yeah, yeah. level together. Uh, but I think if you put him at the front of a, of a team like Manchester United, Chelsea, Arsenal, he would get 50, 20 goals a season easily, mm -hmm. probably more if you played week in, week out. So, you know, and, and obviously you never know when um, Real Madrid or Barcelona might decide to do some creative accounting. That's true. It, that's true. I but, believe well, they're, they're, they're always... Be about, you know what, Bar, speaking of um, cheating, uh, if Donald Trump was Italian, he might be is if Donald Trump was Spanish doppelganger and they'll do <laughs> one of those dodgy pianic... Uh, oh, I'm going to call it now, right? There's going to be a dodgy as fuck swap. So Barcelona and Juve are going to do some creative accounting in the summer. Lewandowski is going to rock a bloody... Um, you know, <laughs> is going to rock up at um, Barcelona and they've somehow both generated 200 million pounds in income. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's what's going to happen in the summer. Through shirt That's, sales in Poland. Sure, yeah. <laughs> that, that, is, that, that is my outrageous hot take. I like it. I could definitely see that happening, by the way. I could definitely see that happening. <laughs> we will be circling back to this, I feel. We will be circling back to this. But the game this evening has just finished. Fiorentina 1, Atalanta 1. 
not as exciting as you'd hope. Maybe Myla getting the goal and Cabral mm. in my Fantacal Joe scores the penalty, <laughs> getting his conference league form into Serie A. You love to see it. But elsewhere in Serie A, um, Adam, we're going to do a quick roundup. Any other games you wanted to talk about from the uh, this week in Calcio? So I would start off with um, Hellas Verona keeping Napoli Oof. to a yes. draw. So nil-nil uh, result there. Napoli very underwhelming, it has to be said. But Hellas Verona holding on being quite comfortable defending-wise. Um, so, yeah, good result for Hellas, who are obviously in that relegation dogfight. So, very good point there. Uh, one of the ones I wanted to shout out was Bologna. Bologna drawing yes. one all against AC Milan. Now, before kickoff, when you saw the AC Milan team sheet, you were kind of rubbing your eyes and thinking, has Pioli been smoking a joint of some sorts? Um, because... Yeah, the squad was very weird, very strange. Origi up top, De Kettler mm-hmm. behind him, Rebic was captain for this match. Um, kind of tells you the story. Like It was literally a kind of swap of the first 11, but mm-hmm. granted they are kind of concentrating on the Champions League, the focus being against Napoli. So hence why they decided to rest a few of the players, but it didn't go too well within the first minutes. Stefan Posh, puts it in for, uh, for Sansone and he scores. So, um, yeah, it could have been even worse for Milan, but luckily they got themselves back into the match through Pobega. Fantastic shot on the left peg from him as well. Um, otherwise, just wanted to call out from the other results, Lecce drawing one all <laughs> against Sampdoria. Sampdoria, I was looking at this before we started our live stream. So I work out there's about 24 points left if they have a further two defeats or two wins for other teams, makes it about mathematically impossible for them to stay up. So it looks like three to two games time, we could see Sampdoria relegated from Serie A. Um, but yeah, apart from that, I just wanted to reminisce on how Roma made me go to sleep last night. I think <laughs> thanks despite to a 3-0 winning 3-0. Win, despite winning 3-0, Udinese really did struggle. It has to be said. Roma for the first kind of half, I felt, were value for their money. But I mm-hmm. could not sit through that for a whole season. That was It wasn't particularly exciting. It wasn't particularly exciting. I, I kind of briefly looked up for Abraham to get the goal. Yes. Um, yeah, there was and there was a missed penalty. There's a great save from Rui Patricio. Yes, Bove, to to him. Bove, yeah. He is, um, he's not had the, the most incredible season for Roma. I think he's had a few shaky moments. But that yes. was a very, very good save from the penalty spot. Um, but yeah, not much to report in that game, really. For no. a 3-0, not particularly fascinating. Um, was that when they had a coach sent off as well? Roma had another coach sent off, or was it uh, maybe? No, they maybe, had no, no coaches on the bench to, to be sent off anymore. <laughs> there was sent off game. previous games. <laughs> maybe it was Sampdoria had a coach sent off this weekend. Sorry, there's always yeah. one in Serie A. It's like a rule now. There has to be either a member <laughs> member of staff sent off or a player sent off after the final whistle. Sampdoria had a coach sent off because the ball came to him for the throw and he just binned it across the pitch <laughs> to waste time. He was like, right, red, off that. you go. Um, but yeah, <laughs> we're going to leave... Serie A there with its endless entertainment. We are going to leave it there. God, I love it. Oh, and we need to very a, quickly... There is a score update to give you. Um, so you know I was talking about goal, how goal difference might be a thing in the relegation oh, um, battle. I've well, Leeds haven't done themselves any favours. Oh, They're currently losing 6-1 oh, um, at home to oh, Liverpool. God. And Darwin Nunes has just scored. 
Frig me. That is a bad look. That's two bad losses in a row for Leeds now. Eh? 5 1 against Palace and 6 1 against Leeds. That is against Liverpool. That is not not looking good. Oh, God. I was liking Javi Grazia as well. Never mind. We do need to very, very quickly do a bit of Champions League preview. Now, Adam, you talked about it. Uh, Pioli has rested his players, he's given them a couple of days off, probably. Um, that's on the Wednesday night, but still, Milan taking on Napoli. It's the biggest game in it. How do you see this one going? And I'll go for your view, Andy. I think it's going to be a tight affair. Um, Napoli are going to have to somehow work a way around it. There is obviously thoughts that Osserman will be fit enough to play. They are going to play him, they regardless play of him. how fit he is. He will be on the pitch. He will be on the pitch. Um, but they are just going to, I alluded to it on Thursday, they're going to have to think outside the box. They're going to have mm. to create something. I think, yeah, it's going to be one that Spalletti has to be brave. He has to try something. I'm sure he's going to try and G up the the crowd as well because he mentioned that if they're not up for it, he'll be leaving at the end of the season regardless. Um, but yeah, I, I feel it's going to be a tense match, very tense match. If they get an early goal, that's all it's going to take. One yeah. early goal, and then they we'll need, see what happens. But they need it in the first ten minutes, don't they? Well, I have yeah. a friend down in Naples at the moment, um, and they've shipped in Feyenoord fans um, for a bit of help. <laughs> I'm not sure what they help want help what? with, <laughs> but uh, the Feyenoord fans are there to help. He said the city is absolutely shaking with energy at the moment. They are really building up that city in the moment. There was videos of the Milan coach getting abused by Napoli fans, like thousands <laughs> of them just screaming and shouting out. They are going to have a rough couple of nights before that game kicks off. But Andy, how do you see this one going? Do you think Napoli, the magic of the city, are they going to get it done? Yeah, I, I think I think the magic of Maradona, uh, big you know Champions League night, I think they can, um, I think if they get an early goal, I think mm -hmm. they'll go on to win it. I think it'd be very much how how they choose to manage it. But I think also is they need to not panic if they don't get a goal in the first yeah. 15, 20 minutes. And I think the crowd will stay with them through the, through the full 90, you know, mm -hmm. even if they have had their beef <laughs> with yeah, the club. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but, you know, I think even an Napoli fan, however disenchanted some of their ultra groups might be, you know, a big ticket Champions League game against Milan at the quarterfinals at home is not the time or place to be airing your grievances. <laughs> yeah, and I, yeah, think, yeah. I think there's a general recognition that is absolutely not the time or place. And yeah. I think um, I think they've got enough about them to get an early goal and it, it, anything could happen from that point. Um I really but, hope they get it done. Like, I, I don't know, there's a part of me, I've talked about it, I really want to see Milan with Inter and Milan playing each other in a Champions League semi-final. I really want to see what the city's like. I really would love to see that. But I also would love Napoli to win the Scudetto and then knock out like Italian teams on the way through, like knock out Milan, knock out Inter, and just be like, we're definitely the best team in Italy. Like both outcomes are beautiful. But I think, for my two cents, I think Napoli will get it done. I think Milan might just bottle it a little bit little bit. Uh, the atmosphere is going to be pretty intense there. The rest of the games, I think, are kind of done. We've got Benfica mm. nil into two, Man City three, Bayern nil, and Real Madrid two, Chelsea nil. Andy, I'll go to you first. Do you see any of those ties being turned around? No. That was easy, Adam. 
<laughs> Same. No, yeah, can't okay. see it. Can't see it. Me neither. Good. Okay, we're going to very quickly go to the Cool Kids Club because Andy, oh my God, we've not even taken the piss out of you yet. You were 2-0 up and coasting. <laughs> what happened? What happened? All of a sudden, it's tricky going to Seville. Yeah, it's, um, it's a very disappointing result. And all we've seen to have done this season is play Spanish teams in the Open League. Yeah, 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 <laughs> we played first. You know, we played, this is our fourth Spanish team that we're on now. Um, no, I think there's still, I think there's still enough about United as a squad to get through that game. Mm-hmm. I think Sevilla have got, most have got their own issues this yes, season. And I think, do. you know, taking that sort of awkward last 10 minutes or last five minutes really aside United were in control of that game more or less you know from the start up until the 90 minute mark I think um, the Martinez injury is a massive massive blow for them Um, and uh, uh, Maguire just had one of his nights where everything went against him Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) I think he turns to shit Um, (laughs) <laughs> it's like a reverse Midas, unfortunately, and I feel sorry for him. Sometimes. It did lead, sorry, it did lead to the greatest Goldbridge clip. One of the greatest Goldbridge clips, where he's like, <laughs> "I think the problem with Spanish sides is they just, oh for fuck's sake, the first goal goes." It is just the, his comic it's, timing. His yeah, comic timing is. And, yeah, to be fair, I think um, although I think United will get through, um, you know bad league campaign they've mm-hmm. got you know what is it an eight point gap between them and valencia i mean that's mm-hmm. a huge yeah. we're going to start on another pod i expect um but they've got a little bit of breathing room so they can really give this game a full go um and i think it will be a big test it looks like Maguire um, and lindelof are probably going to be the starting pair um there and whoever's not injured at left back wow yeah <laughs> so it will be it will be an interesting one. I think United will be able to get it done. I do think United will be able to get it done. But you've just made it a little bit more exciting. You've got more of a reason to tune in on Thursday night, which is quite nice in a way, I suppose. Um, elsewhere, we do have Feyenoord 1, Roman nil. Of course, the kind of rerun, rerun, rerun of the Conference League final last year. Feyenoord 1-0 ahead. Ad, uh, Adam, do you see Roma turning this round in Rome. I feel like Mourinho's got a plan for this one. Eh? Yeah, I feel like even if he's losing the first leg, he overturns it in the second leg. So mm-hmm. I, I totally expect them to overturn it. And one nil is not really much of a lead to go into. Um, so I, I think Roma will win this quite handsomely, actually. Yeah, I think they could be all right there. Then the interesting one, Juventus won Sporting nil. As Mm. Arsenal fans know, Sporting is a very difficult team to get past and they do have a lot of quality. 1-0 is a very slim margin. Um, Andy, very quickly, do you see Juve seeing this one out or do you think Sporting could spring a surprise? I think they could spring a surprise here. Ooh, it'd be be a tough one. Uh, But I think uh, Sporting at home, to be fair, um, Mm. I think, they're more than capable of uh, of getting the goal back. Obviously, the way goals is a thing anyway anymore. But either way, um, I think that'll be one of the games I think will go all the way down to penalties. Yeah, mm. well, they took us all the way there and they bloody got the job done. They are a bloody good team sporting, genuinely a very, very good team. And just wrapping up the English and Italian interest in Europe, we're going to go to, oh, I need to hit the banner first, the even cooler kids club as we go to the Europa League <laughs> as we have Ghent 1, West Ham 1. Now, Ghent absolutely battered West Ham in this game. West Ham were really lucky to get through it, but it's going to be at the London Stadium, fresh off that boost 
of getting a comeback against Arsenal. Adam, do you think West Ham will see this through? They've got a real chance of winning this competition. Huge chance. Um, I, I don't know. It, it all depends on the night, whether they've got steady nerves. I feel that's, mm-hmm. that's the big thing for West Ham and their players. Um, I was very intrigued by the, by the performance of Kamel Piatkowski, who had his mm-hmm. yellow card rescinded. I thought he was fascinating in this match, um, but I'm expecting West Ham to win this. I actually think, uh, no, I actually think Ghent will win it because I think Ooh. I'm calling it because West Ham have had some stinkers in your against. Oh, he's gone. We'll never hear what that was about. That's probably David Moyes going, no. <laughs> yeah. 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 David's logged onto the pod and cut me off. I've been hacked by David Moyes. Uh, but no, I mean, they 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 do. They are prone to dropping some stinkers in European competition mm-hmm. as, as much as they've had some good results. And I think it will really depend on what kind of lineup um, Moyes picks, you know, with... Mm their league position in mind and how much that plays at the back of it. I think if West Ham treat it as a one-off game and aren't distracted by what's going on in the Premier League and the wider issues that they have, then they've most certainly got the talent to win it. Uh, But I do think that if they go into it, you know, with uh, a heavily rotated squad, uh, with, with, you know, psychologically their heads elsewhere, they can lose that game very, very easily. I think it won't, it won't be an easy one for them. It will not be an easy one for them. And finally, Adam, it looks like the Polish uh, fairy tale might be over in the Conference League as yes. Lech Poznan are currently 4-1 down on aggregate and they have to go yeah. to Florence. Um, have people enjoyed the journey in Poland at I least? Think, enjoyed the story? Have. I think they've enjoyed getting to this stage. Um, yeah, it's been an epic kind of journey, should we say, for Lech Poznan mm-hmm. as well because they haven't been... I think the last time they did something similar to this was probably the eighties. That's the last wow. time like a major club did something. I think it was like cup winners cup back in the day. So for them to uh, have done what they've achieved, very good going, but yeah, I think there was an expectation that Fiorentina have better quality players in comparison to theirs. So yeah, I, I just feel it's going to be one of those, uh, as long as they can keep the scoreline down, They've done really well to get to this stage. So Nice. So, guys, I think that is us. We've we've just hit 1 hour 30. We've hit the 90-minute mark. We're not going to have much added time, I promise. Just enough time for us to say, as always, thank you for joining us. Thanks for your questions. Thanks for your comments. We love you all. As always, please hit like and subscribe down here. Follow us on Instagram at AngloItalianPod, on Twitter at ItalianAngloPod. Tell your friends. Do all them things. Guys, anything to say before I hit the concludi trasmissioni? No, all good. Thank you for another amazing pod, guys. Yeah, we will see you on Thursday. Friday, damn it. Friday. Friday. Podcast Network.